This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Welcome, everyone, to yet another episode of Diagnosing the Aftermarket A to Z. I'm Matt Fonslow, and I'm lucky enough to invite a couple of not only industry colleagues, but also some military veterans. First, I'd like to welcome Brandon Dills, owner of Small Town Automotive Technologies, as well as Jarhead Diagnostics, where the, uh, he builds and creates tools for uh, our, you know, our use, diagnostic tools or adapters in some cases, if that's a good word to use. Uh, I have a, a kit from him for my Key Tool Max that kind of lifts up the back end and makes the... If you if you've seen a Key Tool Max, it's kind of got a hole or a halo for reading the chip. This sets kind of a cup inside of there that Brandon built, and then the key sits right in it, nice, props it up, nice. Brandon, he's also a f- former uh, Marine veteran. Yes, sir. Also, we have the the Scott Shotton. Stop it. <laughs> Go ahead. Tries to tell everybody that he's a mobile tech, and I believe him. He's a mobile tech trainer. He is also a former army soldier. Welcome, guys. Thank you for joining me. I'd like to take just a quick second to thank our sponsor, Napa. Accomplish more by starting now. That's the motto of Repair Shop of Tomorrow, a Napa Auto Care exclusively endorsed vendor. Repair Shop of Tomorrow will look at productivity, efficiencies, effective labor rate, average hours per car, labor profit, percentage, measure and manage labor, and how you can create net profit. Interested in Repair Shop of Tomorrow? Call 440-545-1230 for a free 20-minute no-obligation consultation or contact your servicing Napa Auto Parts store. All right, guys. Thank you very much for joining me. This is something I've been wanting to do for quite a while. Um, Finally, our schedule's worked out. The profession, I think we know, we're struggling to bring talent in. You know, it's been brought up that we need to start opening our arms, if you will, making it more accessible to women, which would make up a huge demographic. Uh, another one that I don't think gets brought up enough is military veterans. That when they're done, when their contracts are up, some of them may not have MOSs, if you will, if that's the proper term. Right. Yep. You're correct. Or if you want, you know, a more generic term, jobs within the military that easily translate to civilian life. And of course there are some, right? They're in the motor pools. That would work great. But I'm glad to bring these two on. I wanted to try to get uh, at least a couple different branches of the military to speak about just the general benefits uh, of hiring veterans. Like what do they bring to the table? And I, I think it's a lot. I'll keep this short. And I want Brandon to agree with me, I hope. One of the things I learned during basic training, and I think for you in the Marines, it was boot camp, okay, is what you, your body and your mind are physically capable of doing. When I came in, I was a bum. I was sleeping in my car in Chicago and in January. You know, Matt, Minnesota, it's cold. It's not that different from Chicago. It was bad. I just did it because I had to do it. Because otherwise, I don't know know what's going to happen. And I chose being a mechanic as a fallback for all the other stuff I was doing in college. But once I got there, South Carolina, 
Fort Jackson. They, they make you run. You got to run two miles for the PT test, a physical training test or whatever the case. And I couldn't finish a mile. I couldn't finish it. Before you know it, you're running 12, 12 miles, right? And it's so much mental. It's physical too, but it's also so much mental. And that also kind of translates to, you know, everyday work. It's, I don't think I can do this. BS. You can do it. Just got to put your mind to it and do it. You don't want to. But that is a very important point. I think veterans or whatever they learn early on in the military, it's like, uh, yeah, that's why they break you down and build you up. You can do more than you realize. I remember the day that I got broken off in boot camp that brought me down to the bottom. It happens. And and then from that moment up, how you said you get broke down to the bottom and then you build your way back up. You really learn in your body and in your mind what you truly are capable of. And everybody's capable of it. I mean, some people have better aptitudes of everything, but the human body and the human mind in general is capable of a lot. And until you're put in those positions where you're literally just broken off and then built back up, some people just don't understand what they're capable of because they've never been in that situation. Never been forced to, you know, and then when you get into a shop, it's like, oh, I can't do this. Yes, you can. Move forward. I think when most people think about... um basic training or boot camp immediately what pops in the head are probably two extremes one stripes and the other one full metal jacket that's what we associate with basic training slash boot camp you know if, if i could throw something in there i think a uh, full metal jacket was probably the extreme and that was vietnam era then it got a little bit easier uh when i went through in 92 and now it's from what I've heard, no, it's bad. It's bad meaning, oh, you get your cell phones and you have a, it's like soccer. We throw up a card and go, hey, we're good. We get a break. No, that is not the point. We're talking military versus working at a shop. But if you really want someone being in the military that's going to do something for you, you got to bust them down. You got to build them back up. I see Brandon looking at me and nodding, right? No, it's you can't do that. It's like, oh, I'm sorry, my X or Y hurts. I'm trying to be real careful <laughs> with my wording, right? Yeah, oh, okay, I'm sorry. No, no, suck it up. How do you teach how to suck it up? My brother says embrace the suck. Yeah, it's, I mean, because you're supposed to be the tip of the spear. Well, the Marines are anyways, the tip of the spear. You're supposed to be that that elite force of what the world's scared of and then I'm trying to use my words correctly like Scott is, but, you know, ow, my, my elbow hurts. It's like, shut up and suck it up and move forward. Boot camp, kind of find out what you're capable of. If anything, knowing that you're more capable than you think you are and that when you're hitting that point of kind of wanting to give up in the back of your head, because you've known you've gone through that, you know, there's more in the tank. Now it's something where I just have to flip that switch in my head and go, OK, I can persevere. I've been through worse or because I've gone through the the suck, if you will, this is going to be, I can handle this. Even if you fail, you're going to try, right? It, it's, you're not throwing in the towel. Uh, the other thing is, I guess, just in um, almost kind of a comment about Full Metal Jacket a little bit. It is the extreme. One, it's a movie, right? It's Hollywood. It's got to have drama. Two, I think I like the what they're trying to do there, at least Stanley Kubrick with, you don't 
really want to like the drill sergeant. You know, you think he's funny and all that, but drill instructor, you kind of think, yeah, what a jerk. And yet he's charged with a job that he has to turn these individuals into, you know, killers, if you will. That would be the verbiage that they would use in the movie, but they have to go out and they have to become Marines. The tip of the spear, like you said, that's what he's responsible. And it may end up saving their lives because of it. So that's it. I find that dichotomy really cool, but probably not a whole lot to do with this specific discussion. It's going to kind of get off topic a little bit, but how you're talking about how he's and that's his duty is to train. There was an article I was reading and it was talking about how people in general have changed over time and such that. It started in World War One, kind of ended a little bit in World War Two, but back then it was we're going to go kill people because that's what we have to do. Like that's that's in our blood. We're sticking up for our country. But then shortly after that, the people just didn't want to kill us. I guess kills like what they were supposed to. The wording's way off, but so they had to start and. Inst- instinctively pushing that back into the forces like look no you are here that you have to do that so that's where like in full metal jacket where you see some of that that's because they're trying to push that back in to the mentality of people because just over the years the mentalities went to where we just want to hug and hold hands and sing kumbaya and whenever you're forward deployed you're not singing kumbaya you're doing what you got to do so there's other aspects right or other I guess trained in traits that when you've made the cut and now you've served, you know, what are most contracts? Four years, six years? I know, and I get it. Like there's career. I don't know how many are in it for somewhere in the middle. It seems to me like a lot are in to fulfill that initial contract and then they're either out. Your actual contract is eight years. When I went in, it was at relatively short. So I did two and a half years active duty and five and a half years national guard. So it was a total of an eight year commitment. It also depends on your job. If you, let's say they offered me a satellite technician when I went through uh, MEPS, which is, you know, the, the entry part, but that was a long class. So the minimum enlistment active duty would be five years. I chose being a mechanic, which is not what I did. Before that, I chose that as a fallback, and that's where I ended up going after I got out. So I did two and a half years active duty, and then I did five and a half years National Guard after that. So, I mean, it depends on, you know, what what you want to do. So even if you did, it depends on your enlistment. Let's say it was a three-year active duty, two-year National Guard, that's five years, that means you have three years left of inactive reserve, which means you're out. But if something happens, they can call you up again. So that's it's kind of an it's kind of an eight year commitment. Do you have to do the full eight years? No. But if something goes south and you're still in that eight year, eight year window, they're going to call you back. Yeah, the Marine Corps is eight, but we don't do the reserve or anything. We do the IRR, the inactive reserve. But like for me, I was aviation, so I did a five-year contract. But whenever I enlisted, I signed up and depthed into the Marine Corps 
uh, my junior year of high school and the way the Marine Corps takes that is since you dedicated your life a year beforehand, they consider that year part of your IR. So after my five years, if I would have gotten out at five years, which I did two enlistments, but if I would have got out at five years, then I would have only had two years of inactive reserve. But like how he was saying with job titles and everything, whenever I went to METS, that I qualified for any job entry level into the Marine Corps due to my ASVAP. And the only thing I did qualify for was military police because I was too young. And then so I ended up doing aviation, but my aviation career doesn't really translate out to the civilian world too much. So, by the way, Matt, I, ju- I just noticed something. He-, he said MEPS again, and I said MEPS. The, the military has a crap ton of acronyms. And if we throw out either one of us, throw out an acronym and you or the potential listeners don't know what they are, please stop us and ask us to clarify. Because I might say, yo, MLRS or HIMARS or, you know, something like that. And if you don't know what they are. A lot of times with the, I'm pretty bad with acronyms just because. We have too many to worry about in the automotive industry. Yeah. And you rattle them off. You're not even thinking of it because it's common vernacular. But the assumption is everybody knows what you're talking. That being said, how do we relate this to the automotive industry? We already touched on, you know, uh, how basic training or boot camp helps you, you know, realize what your body and your mind are capable of doing. But some of the things I was thinking about, and Matt might have questions on this too, I might be jumping the gun, but, uh, you know, uh, standard operating procedures, uh, chain of command. We'll do SOP first because that's really easy. I didn't know what SOP was. I had no clue. I joined the military and all of a sudden, here's our standard operating procedure and here's how it works. And I learned about it through the military. And then when I got out to shops and started being a civilian worker, you know, I, and maybe they didn't use the word SOP, but after a little while I realized, holy crap, this is exactly what I did in the military. Here are the rules. Uh, another one would be you were in the Marines, so it might be a DA form or a DD form. DD or DA 2404 was the inspection form that we used to inspect vehicles, and we had to fill them out. And, and nowadays, that's DVI, right? But it was the same thing. We had to fill it out. We had to check this. We had to check that. We had to fill everything out on paper because, granted, I'm old, so it was before computers, Well, computers were around, but you get the idea, right? So we had to do all that stuff. So, I mean, I learned that process then, you know, and and just all the little odds and ends that I learned. And then as I got older and worked in the civilian world, how many things applied to everyday business, you know, chain of command, I left that separate because that might be a whole new discussion. With me being aviation, we didn't use the forms that you said. Ours was actually, uh, it was maintenance action forms, but kind of like our, like your repair orders systems. We, we had that for the aviation, for the Harriers, and you had to literally document everything. I removed this bolt. I torqued this bolt. I safety wired this bolt. This person went back and double checked me. Quality assurance was just through the roof. And 
For the Harriers, whenever I was in, there was only seven uh, attack squadrons and one trainer squadron. The trainer squadron was the only two-seater jet that was there. All the attack squadrons were single seat, so we couldn't take them up or do anything. I did have my low-power certification, so I could turn it up uh, and then run up to about 45% online, and that's about as much as I could do, which, funny story, my second deployment... Hinder was doing a USO tour in the Middle East and Hinder flew onto our ship. They were training for, or they were practicing for their little uh, concert and like they were below me and I was low powering a jet right above them while they were trying to play their music. It was interesting to me. For the Harrier in most aircraft, you can simulate weight off wheels on the ground. So you can, there's switches, you can flip a switch and it simulates that it's flying, but it's on the ground. So that it allows you to check stuff over. You got a scan tool for those, by the way. So not like a normal, like OBD2 plug. I was a uh, seat mech, so I worked on the ejection seats, the canopies, the cabin cooling defog, and avionics cooling. And so each one of those systems had their own little test equipment, but it wasn't like a little scan tool. It was like this big metal box that you'd set on your lap and watch lights blink, and you had to count blinks and watch gauges and stuff. It was Yeah, so you guys are very much in stuff. At least that required deductive reasoning and inductive reasoning, inference, stuff like that. That translates quite well to auto repair and mechanical aptitude, just being around nuts and bolts and stuff like that. Other traits that are learned, you know, traits usually are more born with, but skills that were kind of uh, embedded into you guys as you went through the years of training and just being in that world. So standard operating procedures. I think there is something to chain of command. I think in a, a, especially a slightly larger business where there is kind of a hierarchy, that could be a really, really good thing when you don't have people skipping. I don't know about protocol so much, but if, if you have a grievance or an issue, a lot of people like to go straight as high as they can go right off the bat, going to go leapfrog people. And that can cause issues. And having people that are already used to this is who I report to. If I have this type of issue, this is where I go. If I have this type of issue, this is where I go. I, I think that's a, I guess, leading towards the team. Because you get into a business of you know more than you know two, two people, you have a team. And uh, having a team player that kind of coexists with everybody. And I don't want to say like falls in line so much that in no way implying a military veteran is some sort of a robot. But there's tendencies, right? Learn tendencies that I think are extremely good for any type of a business, especially auto repair. We really need more skilled individuals. And I think it's a terrific, terrific resource. For me, that like you have people that get out of the military and they can just go right into the civilian and it's just night and day. They just wake up the next day and they're in. For me, I had an issue like years. It took me years to try and get out of that to get into the civilian world, mainly because I was literally, I, I graduated high school on Friday and Sunday I was going to Paris Island. So like it was, and I was 17 when I went to boot camp. So all I knew was the military and how they worked and everything. And so whenever I got into a shop atmosphere, I was so used to brotherhood. Everybody looked out for each other. Everybody helped each other. And then you get into a shop and everybody's like, F you, I need to flag this three tenths and F you, I need to flag this three tenths. And I had a lot of issues trying to 
I guess, assimilate is the easiest word back into like a civilian. And in my opinion, like if we're talking about getting military people into the industry, you need to look at that aspect of it is trying to get away from the, the dog eat dog world and having, I guess, like unity or family in your shop or, or dealership or whatever, because whenever you got somebody that that's all they know is brotherhood and that's all they know is help, help everybody out this. We, if, if he's failing, then we're stopping to help him unfail, you know, and get him back on track. I think that needs to be kind of thought about before you want to hire a veteran. It's like, is our climate in our shop like that? Or is it a doggy dog? And is he going to have issues with that? Because I'll be straight up, I had issues with that stuff, like hardcore. It sounded like you got in a, maybe not the best situation for you at that time. 100%. I'm not even lying. Like I fought it for seven years. I bounced around between shops and dealerships. And then I found one shop that it was like a family. And I was like, where have you been my entire life? You know, it took a while for me to adjust. Like my dad was a retired chief one officer four. And he even said, man, you're having a hard time with this. I was like, trust me, I know. <laughs> I love that word though, because that's something most people I know, wherever they work, it's a coworker, it's a colleague, it's something like that. Just talking to my daughter who's uh, in the army right now, it's never referred to that way. Brothers and sisters. And that, that creates a certain culture that no matter what, even if they're butting heads like brothers and sisters would, when it really comes down to brass tacks, they got each other's back, right? They're all on the same team. I love that because I think too many businesses, auto shops included, operate like you're saying, where it isn't so much that uh, almost like... Uh, hired guns or um, mercenaries. You're not really part of the team. You're after the paycheck. And what you need are, if we want to say, I don't know about soldiers or using that type of terminology, but a family. Yeah, we might butt heads here and there. Always got each other's back. And that I think that would be a wonderful culture to work on and having people talking to each other like, oh, that my brother my sister. What I was going to point out was the whole structure of that. If the shop is working well, okay. If it doesn't always work with every shop, but if we drew a parallel between uh, the military and, and I'm assuming the Marines are the same way, right? You got technicians in the back. That's one squad. And then you got maybe shop foreman or some, okay. That's your squad leader, right? And then you got service writers. That's another squad. And then you got a, maybe a, a, a foreman or something for the service writers. That's the squad leader, right? And then they speak up to, you know, the shop manager and then, you know, then to the owner. Because if you listen to some of these podcasts, CARMS podcasts, the ASOC podcasts, all that kind of stuff, some of these shop owners, they don't have time to be dealing with day-to-day shop operations. So you go and correct me if I'm wrong. You don't go up to the to the main guy. You go to your squad leader. Squad leader goes to the platoon sergeant. Platoon sergeant goes up, you know, until you finally get to the, you know, the colonel or the major or something that is your company commander. And then, no, you don't walk in and talk to the company commander. No, you work your way up because that's their job. Their job is to, all right, my squad is fixing cars and I'm a squad leader. Okay, sergeant, staff sergeant, whatever. My job is making sure they take care of all their stuff. 
And if things go really south and I need help, comes through me and then we move further up. Because if if that shop owner is sitting up front working on marketing or bookwork or uh, tracking KPIs or doing whatever they're doing, they really don't need that person walking in and going, hey, boss, this guy just pissed me off. No, no. I also understand that if it's like a shop that only has six total people in it, different story. You know, if it's a big shop, and I also understand the open door policy, especially if it's a small shop. You got an open door policy, you're going to come talk to the boss. Okay, whatever. But military individuals understand that chain of command. This is kind of where it came from. That chain of command, it's like, all right, who do I bitch to first? I would piggyback on that and go in a slightly different direction with it. I think a lot of owners who are there accessible due to ego want to be the open door policy. They want you to come in and it unwittingly undermines those that should have been in position, managers or whoever. You know, if you walk in and start griping to the the owner, sometimes they should be like, I don't know what you're talking you need to be talking to the manager. You need to be talking to the shop foreman. What are you doing in here? You just took that from the opposite direction. A little bit. But you got to delegate. You got 20 employees and you're the shop owner. You got work to do. You delegate. Okay, here is your job as the shop foreman. Here is your job as the head service writer with these other people underneath you. You deal with all that crap. You come to me when you need me. But other than that, leave me alone. And, and it, it trickles down. I was talking about trickle up, but trickle down is it's the same. It's the same thing. It was more not even making them evil. It's an ego thing where they want to be the man or the, the, the leader, the woman, whoever is in charge. It's unwitting how it undermines those beneath them in positions to handle that. So that's what's more. That's what it's more like that they're unwittingly undermining the people that are supposed to be handling this. They're unwittingly undermining the shop foreman. This issue should have went to the shop foreman and handled. Do you guys know who Jocko is? Yes, I, I love listening to that guy. I don't know how old this podcast was. It just popped up on YouTube, and I was watching it. He was talking about it, this sort of situation, because he was a a military officer, but for the SEAL teams. And he was talking about this exact thing. He's like, I was up here, and he was like, I had to delegate down. It's like, if I'm doing it all, then I can't take care of this. So it might not look like I'm taking care of anything, but I really am. But if I have to stop to take care of something that somebody else should be taking care of, then something else doesn't get done. And just what you guys are saying is there's that it's the chain of command of who do I need to speak to for this issue? Now, if you're having an issue with the shop foreman, okay, then don't say something to the shop foreman. I have an issue with you. You go to the next person above the shop foreman, the owner or whatever. That's fine, but I can't get this lug nut loose. You don't run to the owner and be like, I can't get this lug nut loose. Well, why are you talking to me about a lug nut? You know, unless it's broken and now I got to buy a wheel because you damage a wheel and a hub, then maybe come say, hey, boss, I effed up. I could maybe see that. But if you're having issues, well, like, even your shop foreman should have been able to deal with that. Yeah, but like just smaller stuff, you shouldn't be running straight to the top. It's it's like you said, that trickle up. And then by the time it gets to the top, but then sometimes you also have that issue where it's like telephone or we're younger and you start at one end of the room and say something and see what it says at the other end of the room. And sometimes it's totally different. So what would you guys comment about loyalty? 
that was kind of one of my issues getting out, like with the loyalty and, and such. And, and I ran into a lot of that, which back to kind of how I was saying, you know, dog eat dog, because in the military, it's everybody's loyal to each other, like 100 percent loyal because you could be in the shit. Something's going down and you could have been fist fighting the guy next to you 20 minutes ago, but he's going to be his back against yours, pointing in a different direction, keeping your back safe. Yeah, it's the, it's the brotherhood. Is a brotherhood like we were talking about earlier, and and the the loyalty and and whenever you get out, it's almost like that loyal dog that stays where he just gets his ass beat all the time, and he still stays with the owner. You know, it's get out, and you're still that loyal person, and you're trying to be loyal, and then you just get beat down like a beat puppy, and it just sucks sometimes. And so that's that's why I was saying like if you're wanting to air towards a different diverse people such as a veterans is you got to start having that brotherhood, that loyalty in your shop. You got to make sure that, that once they get there, they're like, you know, this is where I need to be. Right. And then I got a little story to share. I happen to be doing a mobile job at a shop uh, in Sycamore, a town right down the street from me. And uh, this um, old, probably Vietnam era, maybe Korea, but Vietnam era Marine comes in and I happened to be wearing my army field jacket, right? Cause it was cold. And uh, that's what I was wearing while I was there. And he walks in the first thing out of his mouth is what F are you doing with this army guy? And he was talking to the shop owner like, okay, whatever, you know, we started joking around. He gave me crap. I'm like, eh, whatever. And the shop owner said, I don't care if you're a Marine or Army, as long as you served, you're good with me. Cool. Well, he owned the gun shop next door, and they had a raffle going on for um, uh, a firefighter, a local firefighter who had some medical issues and couldn't afford you know, his, his bills. So I think I spent 150 bucks on raffle tickets, you know, and I didn't win anything. Doesn't matter. Spent 150 bucks on raffle tickets. And then I actually went and bought a gun for him, too. So now when I walk in, he even had a conversation with me, too. He's like, you know, if you walk into this VFW, I'm going to give you shit because you're Army. But if someone takes a swing at you, all my Marine buddies, they're going to be all over that person. You know, it, it changes because it's it's that you, you can talk crap all you want to. Right. But it's still that that brotherhood. And that's kind of what I would like to see in a, in a shop environment. I'm not talking about throwing fists or anything like that, but you take care of one another. Well, it's the big picture, right? We talk about that a lot in this profession that this is beyond just within the shop. This is amongst, you know, competition where amongst yourselves, maybe you're taking little digs at each other and laughing and joking and, you know, giving each other a rough time. But when it comes to the public, kind of got each other's back, not necessarily just putting people over big time, but at least you're not talking a lot of smack or crap to the motoring public about techs over at shop B, because really when it comes down to it, we're all in it together. Which, like I told you earlier, before we started recording, I'm not doing as much mobile as I was before because of the brick and mortar, but I used to harp on some of the shops that I go into because they talk and smack about shop A or shop B or shop C or whatever. And sometimes they'd be doing it in front of the customers. And I'm like, as soon as the customer would walk away, I wouldn't try and correct them in front of the customer. But as soon as they walk away, I'd be like, look, you don't be doing that, man. They're like, well, you know, this, that, or the other. And I'm like, yeah, but do you want the shop down the road saying the same thing to you about you? 
no, you don't, you know, you got to keep growing everybody up. So if, if your only way of keeping your customers happy is to down talk to people next to you, then you're doing something wrong. If that's the only way you can keep somebody happy. The funny thing about that, I'm sorry, it's, it's not your point, but it came from one shop to the next shop. And then you got called out for mobile. They couldn't fix it either. So they're talking shit about the first shop, but they still couldn't fix it. (laughs) It's no secret we're facing a technician shortage. Napa Auto Care has a solution with the Napa Auto Care Apprentice Program. The program was engineered by one of our own. Pete McNeil and Master Technician Jake Sorensen of McNeil's Auto Care in Sandy, Utah, realized that the problem of not having technicians available for hire was not going to solve itself and decided to take action and look at a different audience of individuals available for hire. A focus was put on younger individuals with the right passion, desire, and attitude to work in the automotive repair industry. Jake and Pete sought these individuals and developed a technician apprentice program to give them the training needed to become a successful technician in today's world. The Napa Auto Care Apprentice Program includes a comprehensive nine-stage curriculum that includes a variety of types of training, classroom training videos. Exclusive to the apprentice program, these videos provide an in-depth training from a successful master technician. Auto Tech classes, instructor-led courses offered through Napa Auto Tech, Auto Tech e-learning, web-based e-learnings designed to target specific training topics, hands-on learning. The apprentice will apply the skills gained from the classroom training videos, Autotech instructor-led training, and Autotech e-learnings in the shop with the guidance of a mentor. The apprentice program curriculum is competency-based, meaning an apprentice can move through each stage at a pace that best suits them. Most apprentices complete the program within two years. Upon a completion, apprentices will have earned ASE G1, A4, A5, and AC certifications, adding industry validation to the skills an apprentice acquires. Grow your bottom line. Having an apprentice in your shop will ultimately benefit your bottom line as they advance through the program. In most cases, as the apprentice develops their skill set producing billable hours, you will begin to see a growth in your gross profit by stage five. Keep your apprentice motivated with an apprentice toolkit. One of the largest entry barriers for individuals looking to enter the automotive repair industry is the cost of tools. Napa Auto Care has worked with our supplying partners to offer an exclusive, comprehensive tool set, including a four-drawer tool cart for all registered apprentices. To learn more, members can visit member.napaautocare.com. You know, from your perspectives coming out of the military, how would you go about recruiting people from, you know, military veterans that are just getting out or have been out? How would you get their attention and get them in the door for an interview. And, you know, I think we've talked a lot about the the culture of the shop, what the culture of the shop would have to start looking like to really play into their strengths. But how would we get your attention? And Brandon might be a really good one to answer because you've got a brick and mortar shop. You might be looking to hire and you're already in that community as a Marine. But if you didn't have that, what would be a, you know, a potential good way to reach uh, these individuals. A lot of the cliches, maybe that's kind of where I was whenever I went into the, you know, bad shops where it's, you know, family oriented and stuff. And so you go in there, but the recruitment, a lot of it comes down to just how you can treat somebody. So let them walk through your shop, see how you treat your employees and let them see how your employees treat you and, and just 
let them see all of it. Don't try and hide them or sugarcoat it. Be real about your numbers because that's one thing. They try and hire you and they fudge the numbers to make it look good for you or whatever. And then as soon as you start, you're already starting off on a bad foot, you know, because they lied to you about it or, oh, we've got this excellent atmosphere and they start and everybody hates each other and everybody's just trying to backstab one another. So anything that you can do to let that person know that the moment they start, they're part of your family from then on, then that's a good start for it. My opinion is, first of all, don't treat them any different. They're a veteran or a non-veteran. They're still a human. They still, you know, whatever the case. So interview process, all that kind of stuff. Understand that some of the things they've learned in the military could be beneficial. But I think that we might be doing another podcast, a part two of this, of maybe some of the downfalls. PTSD, TBI, thing, things of that nature. Also, I would like to say that, I mean, I've seen some videos the survival rate from combat veterans has gone way higher, although there may be many with lost limbs. So they had an IED or something like that. And, and they have, you know, I saw a video of a guy who had both legs were gone, completely gone. And he was a mechanic and he would walk around on his arms. He'd put, he'd put the little bench up there, walk up, climb into the engine compartment, you know, work on the car. And, you know, whatever he could, you know, work the door, all that kind of stuff. Because if your average person loses a limb, it depends on that person if they're going to push on. If a military individual loses a limb or two, they already have that push on attitude. They have fake limbs. They do, you know, all that kind of stuff. Please do not discriminate i'm talking to the listeners now please do not discriminate against uh, uh you know any wounded warrior or something which napa supports too by the way please don't discriminate you know because they i mean they want to be you know useful people in society they don't want to sit in their room stare at the tv which does happen quite often put a pistol in their mouth because the suicide rate for uh, combat veterans is very high Yeah, that and like what Brandon was bringing up about, you know, I don't know how good of a job they do with um, debriefing, like bringing you from active duty to civilian life. Maybe it's a question because I seriously don't know. I'm being 100% serious. It's like a 12 hour class. It's um, I can't remember the name of it, but typically maybe about a month, two months before you get out, you go to whatever it taps class, you go to taps class and in taps class, they get you ready for the civilian world. They kind of help you guide you on what you might need to do, how to get set up with the VA, but that's really all they do. And then your chain of command will usually ask what's your plans. But as far as like sitting you down to try and be like, like for me, how, at 17, I went in and then in my mid twenties is whenever I got out. So literally my growing up adult ages, that's all I knew is this. And then whenever I get out, it's totally different. Nobody set me down. and was like, look, you know, whenever you get out, this is what you need to expect. It was just have fun, you know? So yeah, that's gotta be tough. Let's put it this way. My younger brother did 24 years, five or six tours between Afghanistan and Iraq and then, and then he got out and uh, PTSD, TBI, all that kind of stuff for the first year or two, 
that he was out, he was a pain in the ass. Pardon my language. Uh, he, he had an attitude. He was violent. He, uh, we'd get in arguments on the phone. And I'd be like, sorry, man. Sorry, whatever. We'll talk tomorrow. Let's be done with it. Once he got it straightened out, it takes some time, probably some therapy. He was actually taking medication, but I'm pretty sure he stopped taking the medication because he's better off the medication. But whatever the case, now we get along great. Now we're like best friends. I just go over to his house. Hey, cool. I'm going to bring my dog over. We're going to chill. All right, cool. We're good. But that was not him. That was not him when he came home a couple of years ago. Yeah, that was my first year. It was out. It was a. It was a bad downward spiral. And a lot of it is the mentality. So even like, let's just say it's not somebody that's seen combat. It's not somebody that has PTSD. So like for me, I did three deployments. One was in a combat zone. All three of them, we did combat missions, but I work on airplanes. So I didn't go out and kill bad guys. Like, And I'm never going to lie and say, yeah, I went out there. I was GI Joe. No, I worked on airplanes. But whenever I got out, you went from being the tip of the spear in the United States. You're in that top 1% to you are now at the very bottom because you really have to start all over most of the time. Now, if you've got something that translates out or you started something while you were in and you get out, then you're not starting at the bottom. But a lot of them are starting out at the ground floor and having to build their way back up. So like for me, whenever I was in for eight years, I made this tall climb. I'm now starting back out the bottom. That took a toll on me mentally. I, there's no sugarcoating it. It did. And that and it happens to a lot of us is that first like year out is mentally it just sucks unless you can get brought in somewhere where it it's like you can kind of be back to where you were. But that's that's a lot of the like what you're saying with your brother, you know, it, it's you started out up here and then now you're just the, the rug got pulled out from underneath you. He went from being an E7 or an E8. For those of you got the, the, the people that don't know the, the pay structure, okay, that's enlisted. So one, two, three, four, so private PV2 all the way up to uh, he was a master sergeant. He went from being a master sergeant to selling women's shoes. That's a huge, huge freaking change. He doesn't do that anymore. <laughs> but yeah, that's a huge change. Now he orders meat. <laughs> nice. Yeah. And, but if I'm a shop owner and you're coming out, Brandon, and I'm a shop that does have like a, a lot of SOPs, standard operating procedures. Like it's, I don't want to say it's like militaristic by any means, not implying that, but there's a lot of structure available. How do I access you? Like, what would be the best way? Like, where would you go as a veteran? Just normal channels or, you know, the VFW might not be appropriate. Maybe it is. Uh, the American Legion. I don't know if that's appropriate. Maybe it is. What is the best way to get in touch with somebody like you? Is there somebody in the military even that has access to talent or skilled individuals and say, hey, okay, Brandon's in your area. He just got out. Let me have him come talk to you. Every county has a VA representative. So like if you go to wherever, like the city buildings for your county, wherever you're at, there should be a VA representative there. And typically most of the time when people get out during your TAPS class, they recommend to start with that representative in that area to get put into the, you know, if you want to go into the VA system and, and do all that sort of stuff. You could reach out to that VA representative and just be like, look, you know, I want to be part of the, you know, the veterans community. I want to give back. You know, this is what I can offer. And whenever 
somebody like me who went and spoke with that gentleman just to kind of figure out what I needed to do. He could have been like, you know, hey, you're you were a mechanic in the Marine Corps. You worked on airplanes. I know it's not airplanes, but would you like to work on cars? This place is hiring. They really want to be, you know, get back to the veteran community. So if you're talking about feeding the, uh, the industry with potential technicians, veterans have uh, education benefits too. In Illinois, for example, where I live, um, if you served, you get four years of free tuition at a uh, state-funded school. You don't even have to use your Army College Fund, your GI Bill, or whatever they're doing now. You can come back and go to school for four years for free tuition. You know, So you got to check your state. you got to check and see what your state has available. If you want to come to where I used to teach, Kishwaukee College or College DuPage or whatever the case, and do two years of college to you know learn a trade, it's free. It's free. You paid for it with your time. You deserve it. And see, you could even do something like that, too, because like the now it's the post 9-11 GI Bill. And so the post 9-11, whenever I went in, it was Montgomery GI Bill, which might have been what you had. But they switched it to the post 9-11. Post 9-11, now they pay for all of your college for up to four years. But then they also pay for your housing allowance and everything because they don't even want you you know, they just want to make sure that while you're going to college, you're good. So you could reach out to that and be like, you know, if they're going to an automotive trade and using their GI Bill, you could have that shop reach out and be like, look, we'll bring you on as part time. You go to school your entire time. We know that you're using your GI Bill. We know that you're wanting to be a part of the trade, even if it's, you know, business management. They want to bring them in as a service advisor or a shop manager or if as technician or anything. Work part time while you're going to college and using that GI Bill that you earned. And we're going to we're going to be here waiting on you. Just, you know, come in and work with us when you can. And just so that way you can go ahead and start developing that the relationship early on. So that way they know that that they found their home, I guess you could say, because that's a lot of people is they just want to find their home. Yeah. And you change the direction there a little bit finding a home. So I kind of want to shut up. But I did a very similar thing. I use the Illinois Veterans Grant because I live in Illinois. Uh, so that paid my tuition. So my Army College Fund and my GI Bill still paid me money. So I was getting close to 600 bucks a month on top of free tuition for the time I went to college. And granted, I was young and married and, and uh, my first daughter on the way. That makes a big difference. My whole point there is if you are a veteran or you're an employer looking to hire a veteran, look into all the benefits Look into what's available because there might be things that are available that you didn't realize were and take advantage of them because anybody that served, you deserve it. Go ahead and and use it. I mean, you put in your time. You worked for dirt cheap because you weren't making big money in the military. I guarantee it. Correct. Would you agree? Yeah. <laughs> Brandon was killing it. What rank were you? I was a sergeant. I got out of E5. Okay. I was E5 also. I look at the pay structure in the military completely different than what other people do. A lot of people look at their take-home money. I've always liked looking at just whole dollars and stuff. You got free health insurance, free food, free housing, free this, free that, the whole package. So you might only be bringing home 30000 a year, but you might be making over fifty because of the total package. So, Were you married when you were in? Yes. 
Okay, so I was married and I lived off post. We had basic allowance for quarters and yeah, so all the math, all the, you know, you get deployed, then you get hazardous duty pay and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So once you get out and you get thrown in the civilian world and you're lost, which a lot of people are, take advantage of the education benefits, get into a trade, talk to people if you need mental help. And if you're a veteran that's in a shop or a shop owner who's a veteran, try and reach out to the veteran community uh, and help guide them because you have, I guess you could say, made it, so to speak, past that initial phase back into the civilian world. Be their guide as like, you know, hold my hand and let's let's get through this and help guide them. So if, if you're one of us, so to speak, then reach out to somebody and bring them in with you. Even if they don't want to turn wrenches, may, they might be a good service advisor. They might be good whatever. Bring them in and help them out because you never know what could happen with that situation. I guess I'll leave it up to you, each of you. If you could make a sales pitch to shop owners, shop managers about hiring veterans, what would be your sales pitch as to this is a good resource of uh, skilled individuals? If you're a shop owner that's wanting to hire a veteran, here's some things that you can consider a automatic plus, even if they have never worked in an auto repair shop on the front end or the back end, you can guarantee that they're going to have good quality control because all the way through the military, back to back quality control, as stupid as turning in a rifle back into the armory, it had to be in like perfect 100% clean condition before it was turned back in. So even if they were a grunt and that's all they did was fight, the quality control that they will offer is going to be far none to anything else that you could imagine. Attention to detail. Loyalty, they're going to be loyal to you. If you're loyal to them and you show them that they're part of your family, they're going to be loyal to you. They're going to stick with you. And if you say, look, Brandon, today's going to suck. I need you to do this. He's going to be like, all right, boss, let's get through it. Today's going to suck. Tomorrow will be better. You can guarantee that they're going to be on time. That's the biggest thing is they're going to be on time. You want them there at five o'clock in the morning, Brandon, be there at five o'clock. All right, boss, I'm going to be there at five o'clock. The attention to detail, the quality control, the being on time and the loyalty is just hands down. That's instilled in us from day one, from the day that I got off the bus and stood on my yellow footprints, all of that stuff started being instilled in me. And it's instilled in every single one of us from day one. So you've got somebody with four years roughly of just all of that instilled in them daily, 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 that they're going to be able to offer that to you the moment they walk into the shop. Now, will they be able to do a timing belt? Eh, Maybe not. Will they be able to do something else if you show them? 100%. And then you can build them up to where you want to be. That's my sales pitch. That's awesome. I agree with everything you just said. I don't have too much to say about that, so let me tweak it just a little bit. I don't want shop owners to find out that a potential employee is a veteran and turn them away because they had deployments and they have might have PTSD or you know, or maybe we talked about it earlier, a missing limb. No, please be open-minded because some of those situations, they're still going to be the, I guarantee you that some of those guys or girls that are missing a limb are pissed that they are still not in Afghanistan or Iraq 
fighting with their brothers, their brethren, right? They just can't, you know? So, I mean, they got focus. They got, you know, not all of them, but don't discount them. And when you do hire one that might have those issues, just be prepared to deal with it a little different than what you would do with a normal individual. I guess anyone could have PTSD. You could have a car accident and have PTSD from it, you know, but it's a little bit different when, you know, a suicide bomber blows himself up and your friend's leg is on your chest and, you know, all that. Yeah. Long story. Sorry. Did I get too gory? Even nowadays in general, I think the way we've have to deal with people is much different than years and years ago. It's, you know, everybody's kind of got their stuff now. If they're a disabled veteran, because they're still a team player regardless. They're going to work through whatever their disability is, like I am. But I, 90% of the time, 95% of the time, I don't show it in the shop because I got shit I got to do. I've got to work through it. Work's got to get done. And at the end of the day, I'll take some Motrin and sit down on my couch and relax for a minute. And that's how the majority of us are. Now, I will say some of them, and just like any sector of the world, you're going to have the people that's going to milk it. You've got that 10% in every everywhere that you look. You've got that 10% that will milk it. If you do get somebody in that 10%, shop owners, if you do get somebody at 10%, don't let that 10% jade you on the 90% that could come into your shop. Don't discount a disabled veteran, like Scott said. I work through mine daily, and I never let the shops – I mean – None of the shops really even knew that I was. I just worked through it. I might have been limping one day or my shoulder might have been bothering me one day, but I worked through it. 90% of us will work through it and it won't affect the day-to-day operations. And then if in that likelihood that it does impede the day-to-day operations, it's not going to be a reoccurring thing. And if it is a reoccurring thing, then maybe as a shop owner, you need to be like, what can we do to adjust what he's doing so that it doesn't affect him anymore? And just have the open communication. You hit an ID or something and your knee hurts, you know, whatever. Right, cool. We got to adjust. We got to adjust. My brother has two days out of the year that he does not do anything uh, because one was, uh, I won't tell you the stories. We'll maybe wait for the next episode. But uh, two of his friends died. And on the anniversary of their deaths, he doesn't do anything. It's like, screw it. I'm not working. If I call him, he's like, eh, not a good day for me. Okay, cool. Chill, relax, enjoy yourself. Have your beer, float in your pool, do whatever you're doing. Back to back to normal tomorrow, right? But, but there's two days a year. Now, if I was his employer, I would want to know that. I, wanted, I would want to know that, all right, cool. Here's situation. You're a great freaking employee. But these two days of the year, you need those two days off? Pencil it in. You're off. Paid. And just always remember, if you hire a Marine, he will have three birthdays each year. The day he was born, the day the country was born, and the day the Marine Corps was born. That's November 10th, 1775. We were born in Tun Tavern, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, while drinking beer. Well, thank you guys so much for coming on. Thanks for having us. Of course, Matt. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Like usual, if you have anything uh, you want to reach out to me about, I'm very easy to reach via social media. Also, email me at mattfonzlopodcast at gmail.com. And I'd like to thank Napa and the Aftermarket Radio Network. And until next time, everybody take care. You've been listening to Matt Fonslow diagnosing the aftermarket A to Z on the Aftermarket Radio Network. Follow Matt on your favorite listening app. 
He's very interested in what you have to say. Let him know what you'd like him to cover and come on the show. Matt is all for advancing the aftermarket. Find Matt Fonslow on social media and connect or on aftermarketradionetwork.com.